Do you know what's going on? I don't know. Maybe it's another drill. You hear about that new land speeder I got from Toy Hut? No, tell me about them. That uh, ToyHut.com with two T's? Yeah, that's the one. Got a free vinyl sticker because uh, I ordered some uh, figures that was over $25. Oh, wow, that's pretty good. I heard they had the largest selection of Star Wars collectibles in stock on Amazon.com and Amazon.co.uk. So are they going to be able to ship all the way out here to the Death Star? Oh, yeah, they ship all the way out to the other rim. The problem with ordering stuff online is it just it moves around and it totally screws it up. Oh, no, no, Jet's Toy Hut has a zero-movement policy. They'd have to have, like, seven different kinds of boxes. Yeah, that's what I heard. Wow. You guys keep an eye out for some Rebels. I'm going to go order some stuff from ToyHut.com. Will do. Hey, what was that? Ah, uh, who turned out the lights? ToyHut.com All too easy. I'm gonna wash that gray right out of my brain. I'm Torin Atkinson. Psychic driving? Not nearly as fun as it sounds. I'm Kevin Leeson. Would you like a wine spritzer? I'm Dr. Rob Tarswell. This podcast is great. It is much better than Skeptic's Guide to the Universe. I plan to listen to it again and again. I'm Joe Fulgham, and this is Caustic Soda. Brainwashing. Scrubby scrubby. Is there a difference between brainwashing and mind control? One is the effort to gain the other. They're both terms that really refer to the same kind of series of events uh, on, a, on a human subject that were of intense interest to the hey, U.S. government. It's and, Dr. Rob. Oh, hi, everyone. Who let you in here? <laughs> is mind control the same as hypnotism? No, although uh, hypnotists would certainly, well, stage hypnotists would certainly want you to believe that they're achieving... Um, incredible mind control results and all those people who are selling weight reduction and smoking cessation right. hypnotism programs would want you to believe that they're engaging in white magic kinds of uh, mind control my definition that i've got for mind control systematically uses unethically manipulative methods to persuade others to conform to the wishes of the manipulators often to the detriment of the person being manipulated does that sound like what we're, what we're going to talk about that sounds exactly like what we're going to talk w- about today. wouldn't a gun to the head cover that though <laughs> You know, that's an unethical way to make somebody do something you yeah. want. I mean, I found another definition that said to affect one's mind by using extreme mental pressure or any other mind-affecting process. See, that that sounds a little more accurate. Okay. I think, you know, the two of them together is what we're going to be talking about right. today. Although the second one would probably include coercion, which wouldn't necessarily be mind control. I mean, one of the one of the hallmarks of brainwashing or mind control is the controlled subject is unaware of being controlled, where yeah. the coerced subject is typically or, aware of coercion. Or they, right. they don't believe that they've been mind-controlled, that right. they think that it's their own free will that they're deciding to Must now think Must resist this compulsion. <laughs> now, menticide. Who's heard of this word before? No. No. Is that death by Mentos? <laughs> yes. When you okay. kill, when Pepsi? you destroy mints, so that is minty. menticide. When you've been uh, fresh-made. With the mint and Diet Coke <laughs> rocket? The systematic effort to undermine and destroy a person's values and beliefs as by the use of prolonged interrogation, drugs, torture, etc. And, and fundamentalist religion. And to induce radically different ideas. Well, that sounds like it's kind of in the same vein. Yeah, it sounds like, Radically different ideas sounds like a pretty good hallmark of this as well. 
Because if you try and convince me to say, go get a Diet Dr. Pepper, that's not really mind control. That's just reminding. <laughs> and Re- it's, remind that's control. just triggering a craving that yeah. pre-exists. <laughs> and is brainwashing the same as thought reform? Ah, very good question. Thought reform would apply more to what was happening in China in the early 70s in the Cultural Revolution, the re-education camps. And in the 70s and 80s, even into the 60s in the Soviet Union, when political dissidents were sent to psychiatric hospitals. Because clearly, if you don't see (laughs) the inevitable logic of communism, you must have a mental disorder. Uh And the the funny part about this, well, peculiar, not ha-ha. Is well, that we'll make it ha-ha. The, the, the entire the state, the society, the, the psychiatrists in the Soviet Union you know, thought, you know, you know, communism really does make sense. These guys are loco. Yeah. Word origin of brainwashing. Uh, direct translation from the Chinese, shi nao, meaning to wash the brain, and used during the Korean War. Is that because they literally pulled out brains <laughs> and, and put them. soap on it in order to change people's minds? Ran it under a tap. That might have been going on in Japan in World War II with American soldiers. Mm-hmm. That's a different episode. Though. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it was first noticed when um, Korean soldiers, or pardon me, U.S. soldiers were coming back from Korean POW camps. They were espousing pro-communist ideology. And this immediately got the intention of debriefers who got psychologists and psychiatrists involved. And they were saying, how on earth did this happen to our good old American boys? And this, of course, was during the height of Cold War communist hysteria. And there was Mm -hmm. intense interest by the CIA almost immediately in, oh, they're doing this to our soldiers. How do we do it to theirs? Yeah. (laughs) And they they, – I I read that this was like almost the entire focus of – uh, of prisoners, U.S. prisoners on the North Korean side of the equation that they subjected like 20,000 U.S. POWs to brainwashing techniques and they kind of pioneered the whole thing, but only like – 50 of them actually ended up becoming full-fledged communists right? and like staying behind and choosing to remain in North Korea after the war. That almost sounds like it was just there were 50 of them that, you know, were easily suggestible and you could have convinced them of anything with almost any technique. Or 50 of them that just didn't want to go back to America. Yeah, Ah, North Korea. I I, I got a massive credit card debt. Yeah. And, you know, really, given the percentage of people who are suggestible, you could make the case that North Korea, like, really screwed up. Could have had a lot more people, but yeah. right. we're just so damn coercive and awful about it that <laughs> everyone became aversive and wanted yeah. to get the hell out of there. Either brainwashing should have just been, like, tourist pamphlets. You know? Stay in sunny North Korea. Maybe more honey and less shit. <laughs> exactly. Which is, how the, this is, which is how interrogation techniques in World War II were developed. The most effective interrogator in World War II was an SS Naked officer. Lady. And he would, uh, I forget his name off the top of my head, but he would bring um, American pilots who'd been brutalized in the POW camps and sit them in a nice room, oak desk. Do you want tea? Do you want coffee? Well, let's just chat. Where are you from? Have oh, his I'm daughter from, pour I'm a glass from, of milk. I'm from Iowa. Oh, tell me about that. You know, I studied in the U.S. And then over time, these guys would just start talking about all kinds of stuff once they built an alliance. Good Nazi, bad Nazi. Right. He's the one good one, and everybody else around. <laughs> good Nazi, bad was Nazis. The bad. <laughs> yes, in nineteen so nineteen fifties China, they used uh, filth, sleep deprivation, uh, sensory deprivation, psychological harassment, inculcation of guilt, and group social pressure. What does inculcate mean, Torn? Hmm. Inculcation. Inculcation. Yeah. Well, it means to instill an attitude, idea, or habit by persistent instruction. 
Oh, yeah, okay. I never had that happen when I grew up. And surprise, surprise, if they make you stand in filth for 72 straight hours, yeah. you'll come out going, yes, yes, I'm a communist, please. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Can I have the bowl of rice now? Can I, what would happen if I just said it like right off the bat? Tell us you're a communist. All right. I'm a, yeah, communist. Well, then all of your... Like, I just played along the entire way. <laughs> all of your buddies would be mad at you, though. Tough. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'd be like, guys, I'm just telling them this. You no, know? you know what, Joe? You're not playing hard to get. You're so right. they wouldn't want you to be a communist if you flip that easy, I, right? They would, say that you this, ha- they would say that you have no honor. What is this hard to get you're talking about? I don't understand it. <laughs> <laughs> By placing the prisoners under conditions of physical and social deprivation and disruption and then offering them more comfortable situations such as better sleeping quarters, food, clothes, or blankets, the Chinese did succeed in getting some of the prisoners to make anti-American statements, but the majority of prisoners did not actually adopt communist beliefs, instead behaving as though they did in order to avoid the threat of physical abuse. Thank you. And reverting to their previous condition after they left the coercive environment. It's the smart thing to do. I mean, yeah. really. And that's the that's the piece that was kind of missed by the CIA. Yeah. These guys came back kind of temporarily saying, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm communist. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, until they're safely the, in their the, own bed. That's the ticket. Yeah. And uh, three weeks later weren't, but by then the CIA was off yeah. and running. Yeah. Yeah, and according to forensic psychologist Dick Anthony, the CIA invented the concept of brainwashing as a propaganda strategy to undercut communist claims that American POWs voluntarily expressed sympathy for communism. So it's like, well, I mean, come on. There's no way anybody can be convinced to become communist. It has to be some kind of mind control. Yeah. Well, I guess that kind of segues nicely into the CIA efforts on the brainwashing front. Well, I don't know anything about that. Our friends in, in Asia were kind of the pioneers, but, uh, yeah, like at the end of World War II, I mean, you had the U.S. like picking up a lot of those Nazi scientists and bringing them over as part of Project... Making Disney specials and whatnot? Yeah, Project Paperclip. Got to be the, uh, the, the least sort of sinister-sounding name possible for... It's you know, just wrapping to hold up some a bunch papers of, together. Yeah. Let's, let's give it up for the CIA name office. Some of these scientists were, you know, engaged in sort of pushing the human uh, envelope as far to the outer edge as humanly possible. The human envelope. Yeah, like uh, Mengele is famous for, like, uh, dropping prisoners into cold water and watching them get hypothermia and go through all the stages of it until they died just to see how far you could push people and stuff like that. And uh, they they also— For science. For science. Yeah, exactly. And they they did the same thing to people's minds, right? Like seeing what they could do to— people to make them snap right and how far they could push it and all the rest of that stuff and, and who so, did this the cia no these are the nazis oh, but then okay. the cia got these nazi scientists after right. the war and said show us your work yeah and like let's let's see what you got <laughs> and then they got and then all of a sudden in the early 50s they get super interested in brainwashing and uh especially with the returning korean uh, soldiers who are espousing communist ideology yeah we cannot allow a mind control gap yeah <laughs> it becomes a mind control arms race, right. right? So that ends up what at the time was super, super top secret, but the overarching program was called MK Ultra. Does that stand for something? Yes. Well, yeah, Mortal Kombat Ultra. It was my least favorite of the Mortal Kombats. <laughs> Katana was totally weak. There's an acronym, and I cannot remember. MK means like the top, top level of of top secret, and then there the there were a number of different programs that fell under that, and Ultra was the mind control one. I went to a website called AboveTopSecret.com. Yeah, yeah. To I try saw. and find some information, but it was all just conspiracy nuts. Well, <laughs> yeah. There, 
there was like a couple things that you I tried to find different you sources. You seem surprised and disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> what are these people doing on the internet? I was trying and on to a find site some... called Above Top Secret. <laughs> I was trying to find some uh, some you know secondary resources and stuff for a lot of the stuff that they were listing, but I could not find anything well, except for another website called ForbiddenKnowledge.com. Yeah. There, there seemed so, to be my like, God, it is the Bilderbergers. There, there seemed to be like two websites when you start researching this stuff. There's stuff that like kind of explore the really clinical aspects of it, and they will talk about from a medical perspective and from like a sociological perspective, sort of what pe- what actually was happening. And we know this because of documentation right. and all the rest of that stuff. And then there's, then there's the conspiracy theorists who, you know, take that same information, that same, you know, uh, declassified Documents. documentation yeah. and shout reptile overlord. Yeah. Fill and, in then, the blanks. and then fill in the blanks, like come up with these, massive leaps of logic like there's a there's a, a number of documents about um hypnotism that they they had a bunch of hypnotism experiments and you ended who's up, they uh, the cia okay right and a number of different facilities like the you mk ultra program they are yeah the mk ultra the program man. was spread out over like 45 different institutes of higher learning right like it's these experiments were typically done under the auspices of different colleges and universities because that's where the psychiatrists were right Yes, and, especially the evil psychiatrists. <laughs> and we don't want to give away too many spoilers, though. Stay tuned, kids. <laughs> and uh, and so you know, hypnotism was one of the areas that they were exploring. They were kind right. of delving into, and and for some reason, they had the hats with the pinwheels on it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, precisely. Uh, for some reason, the vast majority of subjects, like the m- most volunteers, they seemed to get were young women. And so one of these uh, websites, and I forget which one it was, but they they sh- they reprint all this documentation about how much success they'd had hypnotizing some of the more suggestible 19 and 20 year old girls who were enrolled in college and uh and then this person who has his website pauses the theory that there must have been rampant sexual abuse because who in the right mind would hypnotize a 19 year old girl and then not abuse her while she's under the influence right. like uh, you know kind of oh reason dictates Bit of this projecting must there. have happened and i sit there and i read it and i went to myself maybe this is more says a lot more about you who's writing the article than it does yeah. about the cia operatives who were undergoing the you know conducting these experiments you would go to one of these websites like the above top secret one that you mentioned before and and they would uh, the, they would have a lot of documentation you know, a lot of declassified CAA documents, and they would have PDFs of yeah. them on there. So you yeah. could, like, look at the actual – it's not paraphrasing. You read the actual document yeah, for some yourself. some words are blacked out. But. Some words are redacted, but uh, but it, the information is there. And then you just – I found it easy to just kind of ignore their insane ramblings that went on after that, right? But uh, but there's – especially around the MK Ultra. interestingly enough, there's a very limited number of documents because in 1973 – there was a uh, paper shortage. <laughs> yeah, they had to recycle everything. No, there was there was a the uh, operation the paper back. shred. Yeah, Congress started to actually look at uh, sort of what the CIA had been doing in the you know forties and fifties and sixties. So the CIA, the head of the CIA, kind of flipped his lid and said, "Shred everything," and all of the documents were pertaining to MK Ultra were shredded, except for twenty thousand pages that actually got lost in their filing system. Oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> that was that ended up they ended up being re they were copied and stuck in um in a section uh with, with the accounting like it was it got lost into like the financials 
<laughs> and so when somebody started like looking for this stuff in like 1975-76, they unearthed this limited scope of documents. But okay. that uh, that that and that's all we know for sure about the MK Ultra stuff is the stuff that kind of came to light as a result of this. Limited but, but damning. Yeah, if if not for the fact that the accountants made copies of everything and stuck them in a financial file, they never thought to look for. We we would literally have zero documentation to God back bless up those accountants. Yeah, back up uh, all these things with MK Ultra. But one of the biggest players in the MK Ultra, I know Dr. Rob has a lot to say about this guy. Was a Canadian, good Canadian kid, somebody we could be proud of. Well, Scottish, no. Scottish uh, expat. Uh, yeah, oh yeah, of Scottish descent. We we claim so many of those though. <laughs> Alexander Graham Bell, Canadian invented the telephone. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. David Ewan Cameron, possibly the most evil psychiatrist that ever lived. Yeah, he um, he was kind of the pioneer of uh, of something called psychic driving. Psychic so driving. This is what brought him to the attention of the term? CIA. He wrote a paper on this thing called psychic driving, which actually brought him to the attention of the CIA, and then they recruited him after that. And I uh, it it kind of defeats me. I read a little bit about You're it. Defeated. And I, went, I went psychic. Is it kind of a weirdo concept? And maybe Dr. Rob can sort of shed some light on what so the heck it was. First, a bit of background on the good uh, Dr. Cameron. He was born in Scotland and ultimately uh, trained in um, psychiatry. And at some point... Scottish psychiatry. Scottish psychiatry. Evil Scottish psychiatry. And was recruited in Montreal by a hospital called the Allen Memorial Institute. Is that the only way they got people to eat haggis? <laughs> I'm not sure. Well, what they would do is they would take all your negative vibes and wrap them up in a sheep's stomach. Okay. <laughs> and then you'd be better. Yeah, healing. And he was becoming increasingly uh, renowned within psychiatric circles. He was at one time the head of the American Psychiatric Association. And he was the first ever president of the World Psychiatric Association. So and, this was a big and, player. And I think he was simultaneously the head of the Canadian Psychiatric Association. Quite possibly, yes. He may have been the head of uh, just about everything. Yeah. And he was certainly the head of psychiatry at the Allen Memorial. And he had some um, ideas about how to treat mental disorders. Um, in particular, he wanted to try two techniques. Psychic driving was one of them. But before psychic driving was depatterning, his overall hypothesis was that if you want someone to be psychologically well and they're unwell, you have to tear the personality down bit by bit, back to zero, and start again from scratch. Ah, sure. Like a pretty classic brainwashing methodology, right? Like when you start thinking about brainwashing, this seems like the place you want to start, right? Well, how do you go about doing that? Well, uh, what Dr. Cameron would do would be uh, a combination of weird uh, sort of toxic potions whose ingredients are broadly unknown, but we do know they contained LSD. Okay. And then he would use something called um, high-energy uh, electroconvulsive therapy. So he would use the same sort of electroconvulsive therapy that's done now with up to 10 times the energy per shock and 40 to 50 shocks per day. And some patients recorded or reported ultimately um, having received over 500 uh, electroshocks in so combination with track you after a while. So some dude juices you with acid and then starts shocking you, right? What a right. trip. Like <laughs> that would pretty much guarantee a bad trip, right? Yeah, I, I'm guessing this is not what Timothy Leary was talking about when he started to, you know, extol the virtues of LSD. Yeah, he right? didn't add, get electrocuted to the end of turn in 50 turn shocks. In, turn right. on, drop out. Dr. McEwen was the original Mary Prankster. 
Well, it was ultimately it was ultimately the null trip because people lost decades of memory. Oh, there were patients- so it was effective then. Well, certainly, yes, I suppose from a de-patterning point of view, um, you, you, you would, you, people lost not only biographical memory, but what we would call praxis or memory of learned skills. What is biographical memory? That's, that's the stating the facts about your life. I okay. was born here, uh, I wore right. red shoes, these kinds of things. And then, then sort of um, like skill memory would be, well, how do you ride a bicycle? It's hard to describe, but you can just do it. So it's something right. you can't right. state, but it's, okay. it's in there as a, as a learned, sure. remembered concept. So... Um, just as an example of a couple of uh, patients. No, actually, no, I'm going to save that for later, some of the <laughs> outcomes. And so there were people who, in, in per- perfectly innocent, you know, depressed, anxious, would go to uh, Dr. Cameron, who was the most prominent psychiatrist on the planet. Wow, we're so lucky to have Dr. Cameron <laughs> here in Montreal. He commutes up, and he lived in Albany, New York. He would commute to work at the Allen Memorial, and then he would commute home on the train. And people would get admitted to the hospital and then he would start shocking them and giving them the potions. And they would say, well, this is kind of strange, but he's Dr. Ewan Cameron. He's the most right. powerful psychiatrist in the world. If we can't trust the most powerful <laughs> psychiatrist in the world, who can we trust? Absolutely. <laughs> the second part of what he was doing was the psychic driving. So once he had finished depatterning, uh, the successful outcome of which was essentially the dis- destruction of your memory. Yeah, blank slate. Yeah, the blank slate. He would then induce a um, a medical coma, typically using insulin. So he'd inject you with a bunch of insulin, which would drop your blood sugar. Mm-hmm. And your brain needs glucose to live. It absolutely is dependent on glucose. If you don't eat glucose, your body starts breaking down muscle to make glucose right. to keep your brain alive. It's sure. that important. Mm-hmm. So he'll give you a bunch of insulin to keep you in a coma, to keep your blood sugar nice and low. And some patients were in these... Um, insulin-induced comas for up to 21 straight days. <laughs> wow. And during this time, he was playing reel-to-reel tapes with different messages that he had concocted, or sometimes it was white noise. Roger Ramjet. Yeah, or sometimes really meaningless phrases. And this was, the, the, this was called psychic driving. So there was the so de-patterning. printing. Like he's well, trying to imprint. He, that's like what he sure. That's what he thinks he's up to. Yeah. yeah. So there's the depatterning, and then the psychic driving, and then at the end, people come out the other side, and they're completely destroyed as human beings. So there were some uh, success. Were, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Eureka! So there was one woman who came in with mild depression, and at the end of it, forgot that she had a husband. One day, her husband was standing at the end of the bed. Hi, who are you? Oh, I'm I'm your husband. I have a husband. And she forgot that she'd had children. But at least she's not depressed anymore. Well, um, <laughs> she, and then she, she goes on to have another baby, and she's terrified. She doesn't know what to do with the baby. They <laughs> Who gave needed, me this koala? <laughs> they needed full-time nursing care to take care of the baby. And the nurse would take one day a week off, and she'd be freaked out. So the nurse would have to leave written instructions right. on how to feed the baby, uh... how to change the baby. Um, and then there was another guy who was who came out and um, he forgot that his mother had died in his arms at the end of her life. Oh, wow. And to this day, he doesn't remember that. So this this really poignant, right. kind of meaningful, tragic memory, gone forever. Uh, and these memories never came back. And what Dr. Cameron would tell patients is, yes, yes, the memory loss is part of the treatment. It's temporary. It should come back. Well, when will it come back? Well, it may take some time. 
Like your whole life. Like geological time. <laughs> you remember it when you're dead. Man, I'm having I'm having flashbacks to Star Trek Five. No, well, you know what it is? <laughs> right before people die, their whole life flashes before That's their right. eyes. That's when they'll get it back. <laughs> oh yeah, all those things happened. Yeah. So this is all very interesting. And but then ten years later it comes out that um, not Dr. Cameron, d- despite the weirdness and frankly uh, manipulative, horrendous evil of his techniques, isn't actually just trying to accomplish therapeutic effects in a bizarre way. He left the Allen Memorial Institute in 1964 under very sudden circumstances and died three years later. In about 1974, as the United States Congress was investigating MKUltra, it was revealed that some of the CIA funding was going to Dr. Cameron at the Allen Memorial Institute to carry out his research on oh. his patients who were unwitting experimental subjects. Oh. So he wasn't just doing this for his own. Well, he, he was. I mean, he, he clearly was a megalomaniacal, egomaniacal man who wanted to secure his scientific legacy. Well, he secured his historical legacy. Yeah. But no he doubt. may not have destroyed all these mines if it wasn't the CIA saying, give a, get, a, you know, oh, yeah. get us some info. They were, they were footing the bill, right? Yeah. Well, they were footing the bill, but they probably let him have free reign. Uh, so he finally, aha, somebody recognizes the genius of what I'm doing here. But they weren't just giving him a blank check and saying, do whatever it is you do. They wanted specific kind of results. One they wanted saying. results, and they thought, well, this kind of sounds like it might be right up our alley. Right. But then a few years after that, it came out that the Canadian government was also complicit in the involuntary experimentation on Canadian citizens. Correct me if I'm wrong, but a, a lot of his patients were mental patients who had sort of uh, either come to them voluntarily or been they committed. All came, they all came for, for help. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, m- most of them were folks who would have what we would describe today as mild to moderate depression, anxiety disorders, things like this. Very... Uh, so people who are generally pretty functional, but having just just struggling in life, um, and okay, into the hospital you come, right. and the folks who tried to leave would be bullied against leaving. Well, you can't leave now. You're in the middle of your treatment. It could destroy everything. <laughs> and uh, they go, okay, okay. Well, I guess you guys know what you're doing. It's like you go into the hospital. I have a fear of clowns, and you come out. What's clowns? Right. Yeah. You're, and you may actually still have your fear of clowns. You just don't know, what is that thing in makeup that's terrifying me? And how do I ride a bike again? Yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. Um, and I think ultimately nine of the former Allen Memorial patients sued the CIA, and it was, uh, they were actually, um, was an undisclosed settlement reached with the oh, U.S. Okay. government. One of the declassified documents has a, uh, a list of the sort of stated goals of, uh, of MKUltra, and... Uh, uh, as far as referring to the study of mind-altering substances and what they wanted to achieve by them. Anybody want to hear this list? Yeah. I, certainly li- I like number one. It's Yeah, number one is substances which will promote illogical thinking and impulsiveness to the point where the recipient would be discredited in public. Newsflash, CIA. Yeah. Alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> no, substances which increase the efficiency of mentation and perception, so obviously maybe to give CIA agents to become super spies. Mm. Uh, mentation, uh, what's that? Probably like um, uh, thinking, okay. yeah, thinking. You know, mm, mental processes mentation. and whatnot. Uh, materials which prevent or counteract the intoxicating effect of alcohol. Materials, <laughs> materials which will promote the intoxicating effect of alcohol. That would more be more alcohol. alcohol. 
I know all this seems so logical to us now in retrospect, but in 1955, well, they had no idea. We, we stand upon the shoulders of giants yeah, here. <laughs> obviously. Uh, number five, materials which will produce the signs and symptoms of recognized diseases in a reversible way so that they may be used for malingering, etc. Malingering. <laughs> materials which will render the induction of hypnosis easier or otherwise enhance its usefulness. Money. So Now that does exist. Uh, substances which will enhance the ability of individuals to withstand privation, torture, and coercion during interrogation or so-called brainwashing materials and physical methods which will produce amnesia for events preceding and during their use they accomplish this with hypnosis as well under certain circumstances physical methods of producing shock and confusion over extended periods of time and capable of surreptitious use substances which produce physical disablement such as paralysis of the legs <laughs> acute anemia etc uh, <clears throat> substances which will produce pure euphoria with no subsequent letdown. Ooh, did they get any progress on that one? Weed. <laughs> Who knows where ecstasy came from? Substances which alter personality structure in such a way the tendency of the recipient to become dependent upon another person is enhanced. A material which will cause mental confusion of such a type that the individual under its influence will find it difficult to maintain a fabrication under questioning. I think this was the original idea behind LSD, right? Like... Because I, I, I've seen the films where they actually pipe all these soldiers full of LSD and, like, try and make the march in, in formation. And then they all just, like, <laughs> yeah, you can YouTube that. It's quite funny. They have a before and after. Substances which lower the ambition and general working efficiency of men when administered in undetectable amounts. Hmm. So that's to give to an opposing army to make them unworthy of fighting. Uh, substances which promote weakness or distortion of eyesight or hearing faculties, preferably without permanent effect. <laughs> preferably, but... But, you know, <laughs> it's something we're willing to sacrifice. A knockout pill which can be surreptitiously administered in drinks, food, cigarettes, as an oh, aerosol, aerosol etc., sure. which will be safe to use, provide a maximum of, of amnesia, and be suitable for use by agent types on an ad hoc basis. Roofies. Yeah. <laughs> this is pretty much all come Gee, to pass thanks, in some way, yeah. shape, or form thanks, or another. CIA. Thanks for date rape drugs. Yeah. Jerks. A, a material which can be surreptitiously administered by the above roots and which in very small amounts will make it possible for a person to perform physical activities. Right. So, so a series of knockout gases and memory scrubbers. Yes. That was the, the, the stated kind of uh, goal of the entire program, right? Some of the more interesting experiments, of course, involved LSD, which were, you know, uh, we've talked about. Lysergic diethylamide. Even though actual use of LSD was legal in the United States until October 6, 1966, they had, an, they had a, one mission called Operation Midnight Climax. Ooh. I think you might know where this is going. <laughs> I've, I've had that operation a few times. <laughs> the CIA set up brothels in San Francisco to obtain a selection of men who would be too embarrassed to talk about the events after the fact, and the men were dosed with LSD... The brothels were equipped with two-way mirrors, and the sessions were filmed for later viewing and study. What exactly is the clinical result of this? Like, Dr. Rob, maybe you can uh, enlighten us on the scientific method here. Uh, exactly how was this going to achieve any sort of, you know, uh, medically uh, verifiable or, or, you know, isn't the point, like, being able to repeat the results under under different circumstances, time well, and time again. That's that's the sometimes goal you of just want to throw a bunch of shit together and see what happens. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I suspect what the CIA is after is probably a couple things. First of all, uh, if we go back to that list, they're looking for broadly substances which get people to do things they might not ordinarily do. So let's see what we can get these fine, upstanding citizens to do. 
And oh, these finest upstanding citizens that showed up at a brothel and knocked on the door <laughs> and said, hey, I'd like a prostitute, please. <laughs> and then I suspect the second part is the CIA was probably interested in uh, wealthy and powerful individuals who they could blackmail and extract concessions from. Uh, the J. Edgar mm. Hoover example. To this end, the CIA used all sorts of different drugs, uh, amphetamines, barbiturates, temazepam, heroin, morphine, MDMA, which is the precursor to ecstasy. It is ecstasy. Uh, Mescaline, psilocybin, magic mushrooms, Mm -hmm. uh, scopolamine, marijuana, alcohol, sodium pentothal, and ergine. What's ergine? It's an alkaloid of the ergoline family that occurs in various species of vines of the convolvulaceae and some species of fungi. It's a hallucinogenic. No, it's morning glory. The other thing that I found really interesting and that kind of is a lot of these hypnosis experiments. And there's actually uh, some documents that uh, outline some quite seemingly quite successful hypnosis experiments where they, they got a subject to perform a specific action which were very complex, like go into this room, pick up a briefcase, take it to this other room, you know, dial in a code, leave, you know, this object, which is a bomb under the desk, then go to this other room and talk to a uh, another agent. And when that agent says a certain word, then go do this and then return to your starting point, sit down on the couch and fall asleep. And when you wake up, you won't remember what you just did. Okay. And then actually perform that action and get them to do it successfully. Cause they were trying to create basically sleeper agents right. like the Manchurian candidate pretty much. Okay. And, uh, and so there's no documentation to say that this process was ever used in the field, but there is one woman named Candy Jones who claims that she was one of these sleeper agents, that she had been experimented on as a young woman by the CIA, and that she would get weird phone calls, leaving cryptic messages, and she ended up writing a book, but, you know, I mean, largely largely ignored or, or mm-hmm. not commented on or denied by the CIA. Well, it might be true. It's yeah. also exactly the thing that a crazy person would say. Yeah, no, I know. That's the, that's the ultimate part is the CIA were doing things that were so crazy that it was easy to say, oh, that's just crazy. Yeah. Except for the fact they were actually doing it. And there are documents <laughs> to prove that they were doing it. So I, I, it, that one's a really interesting one because none of the documents survived about sort of any sort of field work involved in that stuff. But they do have these, these examples of experiments done under clinical conditions that accomplished the effect that they were going for. What were some of the materials that enhanced hypnosis that we were talking about before? Primarily, uh, the most interest ultimately settled in drugs called the barbiturates. And these were first discovered actually during World War II. Uh, U.S. Army psychiatrists discovered that um, soldiers who had had traumatizing stress incidents in the field, they could, under a facilitated interview with barbiturates, help the individual soldier um, process the, the intense grief around the traumatizing event, which led to uh, rapid recovery and they could be redeployed with oh, their field I units. See. Yeah. So they compressed the whole stages of grief. Right, yeah. <laughs> or skipped some altogether. Exactly, exactly. And in fact, the interest in um, these kinds of facilitated interviews for therapeutic purposes did persist in psychiatry. Ultimately, they were abandoned because you can, um, you know, when somebody's in the, the, the state of this, this medication, indeed, you know, their defenses are down and they're able to approach very painful emotions. But again and again and again, they wake up, they don't remember the interview. And 
often what would happen is because really painful emotions were stirred up, these individuals would become often be more symptomatic after they woke up, might uh, commit suicide and things like that. So ultimately, this was uh, abandoned uh, as not terribly helpful or therapeutically useful. Yeah, that wasn't very helpful when the guy killed himself. But perhaps helpful in creating a sleeper agent that you can that you can actually activate. One of the most interesting things I read about it was that they could actually activate them by phone or by letter, by leaving a suggestion and then call them with a, and say a word. And it could be one of the things that they really liked about it was it could be anybody saying the word. So you could actually kind of pass these sleeper agents around to other handlers. It yeah, wasn't but what if they're in a specific. bank lineup and somebody says, <laughs> oh, foo-for-ah. Yeah. yeah. And then suddenly they start slitting people's throats. That was the danger. I guess the CIA was willing to <laughs> was willing to take on. So be careful what you say in bank lineups. <laughs> All right, well, I got something on uh, deprogramming and exit cult, exit counseling, which are two separate things. Some believe and have written about that certain cults use mind control techniques to unethically recruit and maintain members. Many critics of cults advocated or engaged in deprogramming as a method to liberate group members from apparent brainwashing, quote unquote. Deprogramming refers to actions that attempt to force a a person to abandon allegiance to a religious, political, economic, or social group. Methods and practices may involve kidnapping and coercion, whereas exit counseling, also known as cult intervention or thought reform consultation, is similar, an intervention designed to persuade an individual to leave a cult, but it is a voluntary procedure in which the person is treated with respect, can leave any time, has, uh, and that the decision to stay with the group or leave it is wholly up to the follower and will be accepted by the exit counselor. I'm sure that happens all the time. <laughs> yeah, because here's the thing. I mean, once you get to the point where you're like, oh, I'm going to go to this exit council, I'm going to leave the cult and go to this exit council so they can counsel me on not being a cult member anymore, you're kind of over the cult at that point in time. Mostly. Like, One you're pretty think. much just going to reinforce something you'd already sort of made up in the back of your mind anyway or yeah almost like an intervention yeah yeah exactly you shouldn't be in this cult yeah but i really wanna well you probably shouldn't didn't i read somewhere that uh, a lot of these deprogrammers who would like actually kidnap cult members and like kind of tie them to a chair and yeah try to deprogram some of them actually got jail time for kidnapping i yeah. think uh the practice of coercive deprogramming fell out of favor in the west and was largely superseded by exit counseling because Det- it was evil <laughs> Detractors of the practice focus on the sometimes illegal and violent activities by untrained and unlicensed practitioners. Supporters of deprogramming portray the practice as an antidote to cult brainwashing, but unlicensed. Where does one go to get a kidnapping license? (laughs) A deprogramming (laughs) license? Uh, You get a police badge. Ah, yeah, maybe. Yeah. Uh, Public support for deprogramming hinges on the degree to which people accept the brainwashing concept. In the U.S. from the mid-70s through the 80s, mind control was widely accepted, and the vast majority of newspaper and magazines' accounts of deprogramming assumed that deprogrammers were well justified. Certainly, if Hollywood has taught me anything, it's that brainwashing exists and it works every time. <laughs> exactly. But after a couple of decades, lawyers, civil libertarians, sociologists, psychologists came to argue that it is not the religious groups, but rather the deprogrammers who are the ones who deceive and manipulate people. Yeah. So case by case basis, I guess. It's it's a hard call. I mean, you can certainly think that there are people who join cults and things like that, that they shouldn't and they shouldn't think that. And it seems to be a weird, complete change for their personality. But aren't people allowed to make those big changes in their lives? That's a it's a tough call. Yeah. I mean, by the same token, I mean, you get like some situations like the Waco guys, the Mm -hmm. Koresh family where 
you know, uh, every single woman who ended up in that organization had to stop having sex with their husband or boyfriend or whatever and only have sex with Koresh. And you're sitting there thinking to yourself, feels a little bit manipulative, feels a little bit maybe like he's taking advantage of some people who are not strong personalities. And Minor segue, if you want some really weird YouTube video, David Koresh rock videos. Oh, nice. Yeah. He, he was a musician. He was a musician and composer, yeah. Why are they all musicians? Torin. <laughs> <laughs> and if you think back to the 80s when deprogramming was huge, if you, um, I mean, I think most of us in this room grew up in the 80s. In a satanic cult. Playing, well, <laughs> playing Dungeons and Dragons. And in Chilliwack, this was a big deal within yeah. fundamentalist <laughs> circles which, with which we were surrounded. And this was the rise of the satanic panic, and people actually believed that there were completely splintered off satanic cults which were raising babies just for ritual sacrifices to Satan yeah. and that Satanists had completely taken over daycares and people ended up in jail with multiple life sentences for kidnapping, coercion, murder, all on the alleged um, eyewitness testimony of, in retrospect, what were probably very psychologically damaged, um, persuadable people. And... Absolutely none of this was founded, despite intensive FBI and police investigations. And I think it was actually Skeptic Magazine in around 88 or so that sort of first raised the alarm. Like, you know, hey, are we really sure that there's this massive underground satanic movement right. raising babies and eating them? And yeah. yeah. Really? Carl Sagan mentioned the, uh, was he a politician whose daughter came forth claiming, uh, thanks to a psychiatrist trying to bring these memories, which turned to be false, that her father had was in a satanic cult and had had her impregnated simply so the baby could be sacrificed. Uh, and it got... The news, the story got out there so much that the father, who couldn't believe that his daughter would lie about this or be wrong, started to believe it himself and actually wow. admitted it and went to, to prison for this crime, even though they later did studies and she had never been pregnant. Fascinating. They had no evidence that she had ever been pregnant in her life. The Milgram experiments were fascinating. They were done in the 50s with an actor in another room in a chair who you couldn't see. And there was an investigator in a, in a white coat standing behind you asking questions to the actor in the other room. And every time the actor got the question, got the answer wrong, you were, as the experimental subject, you didn't know you were the subject. You thought you were just kind of helping out. You were like an assistant. That's right. You're an assistant. You administer a shock. And then every time you, you turn up the dial, and the oh. dial was, was, was from zero to 400 volts. And then finally, uh, a lot of people would turn around and say, are you sure? Are you sure? And the, the guy in the coat would say, don't worry, please continue with the experimental protocol. Okay. And they would keep shocking even after the actor had been screaming and then went silent. Oh. Yeah. And, like, and not just a small number, right? Two-thirds of people. Also, it smells like bacon for some yeah, reason. Yeah. Two-thirds of people would, would, would just carry on shock the guy right through to death. And now we think, okay, no, nobody would do that these days. Well, the Milgram experiments were repeated a couple of years ago um, in a way that was not so distressing to the helper. And, yeah, everybody just marched the dial right up to the top. Wow. Well, not everybody, but a, a big a majority, majority of people. Yeah. yeah. And the Milgram experiments, interestingly enough, are often held up as an example of unethical research in psychology. But what's less well known is that Milgram actually did long-term follow-up studies 
of everybody who participated as a helper. And every one of them said it was such an eye-opening experience in my life to see how willingly I would go along with authority. And that's made me really think about my relationship to authority. And since then, I've been a lot more thoughtful and a lot more willing to ask questions and a lot less willing to just kind of go along. So in fact, not only was nobody harmed, in a strange way, a lot of the them reported actually positive lifelong benefits from from having gone through that experience. Oh, yeah, so, people are kind of born to accept authority. We're kind of hardwired to do that. Yeah, so Milgram found the way to solve that problem.
in the news. October 14th, 2011, the Epoch Times, which is a uh, newspaper in China. It's made by supporters of the Falun Gong movement. They have a, uh, an article uh, about a Sichuan woman in her 50s who was forcibly admitted by Chinese authorities to a legal education center for brainwashing. Ten days later, she was dead, her body black and blue from beatings. So that's an unsuccessful brainwashing. On September 7th, Miss Wang Mingrong was uh, abducted by personnel from the 610 office, which is in charge of eradicating Falun Gong in China. She, uh, Miss Wang was taken to the Chengdu City Legal Education Center, which is used for detaining and brainwashing Falun Gong practitioners. She went on a hunger strike to protest her unlawful detention, and she was then brutally beaten and force-fed through a tube. Uh, ten days later, she was found dead, her body black and blue, but the exact cause of death remains unknown. Uh, in September 2003, Miss Tan Lan, a young worker at the Sichuan cotton factory, was abducted and taken for brainwashing. And 16 months later, she was returned to her factory's dormitory, and her co-workers found she had no facial expression and did not respond when called by her name. Wow. She was in a catatonic state, unable to talk about her experiences at the Legal Education Center. So re-education centers. Yeah. How does that work? Yeah, well, I think this is a kind of one of these deprogramming and reprogramming kind of attempts, right? I would like to say you probably have to have balls of steel to be a journalist for that newspaper. Yeah, I'm thinking the same thing. October of 2011, there's a website called Bleeding Cool, which is talking about... It's generally like a pop culture website that has a lot of stuff to do with things going on in the UK. And there's a character... I've never heard of this guy before, but his name is Darren Brown. Mm-hmm. And evidently he does television specials... Uh, but he's a hypnotist, so he's kind of like a David Blaine, but for hypnotism. Okay. And uh, he says he's going to brainwash a member of the public into becoming a celebrity-killing assassin. So he's going to do a television special about hypnotizing somebody and convincing them and having them actually perform a fake ex- assassination. Well, that seems fake. unethical, but interesting. <laughs> And he's not revealing which celebrity he's going to earmark for assassination because he doesn't want him to be extra prepared. Oh, so, place your bets. Yeah, it'll just be somebody probably will get a pie in the face or something That's like that. Poison pie. Yeah, yeah. The series evidently starts on Friday, October 21st at 9 p.m. on Channel 4. I'm guessing BBC Channel 4. So it's we'll underway. Wait with bated breath to see who is or is not assassinated. Yeah, I mean, who knows? Maybe you can find episodes George of Lucas, on George Lucas, George Lucas, George Lucas, George Lucas, George Lucas. <laughs> Oh, it's not a real assassination. <laughs> Curses. Pop culture. Boy, there are a lot of examples of yeah. brainwashing. It's a, it's a wonderful thing to play with in stories. Yeah, and it, like they, certainly there's an era in time where this was kind of a, a fun thing to do, right? Like, right, especially when this was in the news. Well, there, there's not a whole heck of a lot of, like, from, you know, all the things that I was looking at, there's not nearly so many examples. There seems to be a tapering. Of you know brainwashing and mind control. It's a bell curve. And... <laughs> Best yeah, I guess trope it's all, probably ever. cyclical, right? You know, probably what goes around comes around. But of course, the one that you have to talk about when you're talking about brainwashing is the Manchurian Candidate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, two versions, uh, which yeah. I've seen both. Yeah, I've, I've read the book and seen the original movie. And uh, how does the book compare to the movie? A movie has to be really exceptional to kind of trump the book. The book is always kind of richer and it's got more character and it's got better setup and it like, you know, I mean, you just have to abbreviate movies so much that unless somebody does a really outstanding job, it's kind of hard to kind of hard to go go toe to toe with it. So in short, you're saying no. 
Uh, in short, I'm saying the book is better than the first movie, and I'm sure the first movie is better than the second movie, so the book is probably better than all three. Now, on uh, on the Facebook page, uh, we were uh, when Torn put the the message out recommend brainwashing movies one of the ones that leapt right to the front was a movie called parallax view mm-hmm. which starred warren Beatty from 1974 so joe and i watched it oh so it's a almost a classic movie it is it is it could it almost is. be and it's a really movies. good movie it really really is good yeah but i wouldn't call it a brainwashing movie well what's it about give me the breakdown brainwashing is around the periphery rather than the center of it I think it's strong to call it a brainwashing movie, but it is really good. It's so well done, yeah. so well shot, so well acted, uh, has an excellent ending to it, yeah. I felt. Uh, and both of you and I agreed, this is probably the kind of movie that, that unless there was a star who said, we need to make this movie, would never get made these days. It would never get made today. Now, I already referenced Would you like it. a wine spritzer? <laughs> is that... We, now we know what Dr. Rob's like key phrase is. So like, to, well, it's not because he said it twice and nothing's happened. No, no. His or sleepers, has it? His sleepers are going to listen to the podcast. He's going to give them all a call and say, hey, listen to Caustic Soda this week. And they're all going to go off the deep end. Pies in everyone's faces. Yeah. Clockwork Orange. Yeah. Now there is a brainwashing scene. Yep. I, Often referenced in pop culture yeah. ever since then. Yeah. Not the Ludwig van. Not Ludwig van. Anything but Ludwig van. And does it work? Oh, yeah. In the movie. Yeah. Definitely. But it also hammers home the fact that it never really, even when you successfully do these things, it never really gets rid of your sort of underlying compulsions, right? Like his it just controlled his compulsions. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. He was the same person. He was still a complete sociopath. He just wasn't allowed to act on his sociopathic desires. Right. Is it like uh, the uh, little collar that you have to wear if you're a yeah, except DWI? It was a collar right. in his brain. So he wanted to do them, but they would just... He would, go vi- yeah. he would get violently ill. Okay. He would be incapacitated by nausea. Whenever he'd even think of doing these horrible antisocial things. Yeah. yeah. But then, of course, twist ending, spoilers. Uh, it's old enough movie. I don't think anybody you know deserves to get... Uh, Skip 10 seconds. But then they have to reverse it because of political pressures. Yeah. And he becomes a psycho again with the full blessing of society. Yeah. The, the thing that really was its undoing was that the music that they accompanied, accompanied his reprogramming with was uh, Ludwig van Beethoven's fifth. And it was his favorite ever song. It's yeah. the it's the only actual beautiful traditional classic thing that this psycho enjoyed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then they taint it with this reprogramming. So every time he heard the song, it didn't. You didn't have you even have to have one of these thoughts. If you right. just heard that song, uh, he would he would feel its effects. Just a little extra dig in his ribs. Yeah, <laughs> this is what you get for being a psycho. Yeah, that was that was the uh, the punitive part of the reprogramming. Yeah. Uh, anybody else got any movies? Has anybody seen Holy Smoke? No. 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 This is a movie with a young Kate Winslet. Oh, okay. While on a journey of discovery in India, Ruth Barron, Kate Winslet, falls under the influence of a charismatic religious guru. Her parents trick her into coming back to Australia and hire PJ Waters, played by Harvey Keitel, a macho cult deprogrammer who confronts Ruth in a remote desert hideaway. Oh, I had heard of this movie. I heard of it, but I didn't go out and see it. It won a bunch of awards. It did really well on the festival circuit, if I remember correctly. Uh, it was interesting. Yeah. And I was interested in seeing where it was going up until it became abundantly clear, like the last 30 minutes, 
was just going to be Harvey Keitel with his pants pulled down. <laughs> Isn't that most Harvey Keitel movies? Yes. <laughs> I bet you, like, never in any of these scripts does Harvey Keitel, act character, actually pulls pants down. And he shows up on set and he goes, I got an idea to the director. <laughs> <laughs> Let's pull my pants down. Yeah, it's just uh, he takes her to this shack in the middle of the desert uh-huh. to get her away from everything and deprogram her. Uh-huh. And none of that happens. <laughs> it's okay. just a bunch of s- ridiculous sex and weird angst and stuff like that. And Harvey Keitel, oh, you know, the tagline for the movie is kind of Harvey Keitel, like, can't, he thinks he's in control, but he can't handle himself, yada, yada, yada. But it's, it's just, there's no interesting message or anything right once you get to that point oh, okay all right that's disappointing yeah it's just like he totally flips for a really stupid reason and he's like there's a scene the the turning point in the scene is like she kind of goes crazy and she takes all her clothes off and she's out in the front of the house and then she starts trying to make out with him he's like no no i can't i'm your deep programmer oh okay i guess i can let's have sex many times i'm gonna keep you here in this shack and we'll have sex <laughs> until we get found out and we do and it all goes to shit so, so it's totally I'm, predictable after that point so i'm a deep programmer <laughs> right up until i get a boner exactly exactly he needed a deboner yeah, he did need a deep boner. Are there Torrens notes for other movies? <laughs> yes. Because that was fantastic. <laughs> there was a brief scene in Lost Skeleton of Cadavra. Now that's a so bad it's good movie, isn't it? It was made to, it was a movie that was filmed in black and white. It's from 2004. Okay. Made to be as though it was from the 50s. Uh, right. So it's kind of a mockumentary sort of thing. Well, it's not a mockumentary. It's just a mock. <laughs> it's a mock film. Yeah. Yes, exactly. I think it's an actual film. An Wait a minute, what it's is a, it? It's an homage to fifty. It's not supposed to be a documentary in any way, shape. Right, right. Form. But I, in that in that style, that they're poking fun at sort exactly. of something else. It's that, a spoof. Yeah, Ed, Ed Wood there style. That's that's what I was looking for. Yeah, an yeah, homage to of, Edward Wood. Yeah, mm-hmm. you could you could say that. There's a lot of stilted dialogue and and you know maniacal laughing that goes on too long and that sort of thing. We, was it good? It was good. I, I've I'd I watched it again because I heard that there was a brainwash episode in the movie yeah, but okay. i didn't remember it so i had to watch it again and it was even funnier the second time i watched it than oh, the first time really yeah the first right. time i remember having like one or two lol moments but yeah. having watched it again it was even better it was like and what was the brainwashing element it's it, the whole idea of this movie is it starts out with a scientist and there's a meteor that's fallen and he has to get the atmospherium out of the meteorite Okay. Atmospherium nice. is this is this kind of catch all do anything element. Uh meanwhile, another scientist has heard about the lost skeleton of Cadavera in a cave. My favorite line from him is I'm a scientist. We don't believe in anything. <laughs> <laughs> so he goes to the skeleton and tries to reanimate it. The skeleton says, I need atmospherium to fully reanimate. Okay. So now Hilarious. he's gotta get the atmospherium. Then a Rocket ship from space crashes. Why, wait, <laughs> why does a scientist want to reanimate a skeleton in the first place? For Don't worry science? about that. Don't worry about that. <laughs> he already said he doesn't believe in anything. He's a nihilist. <laughs> why wouldn't you reanimate a skeleton if you could? I guess. So the aliens need to repair their ship, and of course, they need atmospherium. Oh. And so also, it's, a, it's a mad, 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 mad world of atmospherium. <laughs> <laughs> it is, yeah, yeah. The aliens use their brainwashing power on this original scientist who actually has the meteorite who, that has the atmosphere in it. They all want the meteorite. Uh-huh. 
So the aliens try to brainwash, try to get him to give up the meteorite. The skeleton of Cadaver also has mental powers and wants to get the... Yeah, so this brainwashing internet is pretty hilarious. All right. Nice. So right. A double video. thumbs Sounds up awesome. from Torin. I got to check out it, too. No, just one thumbs up. Oh, Nobody well. just kills the guy and steals the meteorite? No, there's no killing. That would have expedited the plot to some extent. <laughs> there's also... The aliens have this transmogrifier array that they use to change their clothes into human clothes. And the scientist who wants to reanimate the skeleton uh, uses it to merge four forest animals into a lady in a cat suit. <laughs> It's pretty awesome. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Torrin's notes. All right. Well, in the world of comics, we have from the World Wildlife Federation of Justice, Hypnopotamus. Oh, yeah. Of, of course. course. And I noticed as I was doing the logo for Hypnopotamus, there are two O's separated only by a P in Hypnopotamus, which make, if you turn them into little swirlies, uh. make two swirly hip... Hypnotic eyes in the oh, logo. Nice. Little uh, serendipity there. Mm-hmm. That has worked out nicely. Did you find yourself feeling heavy? <laughs> I <Yeah>. did. <laughs> and then I fell asleep. <laughs> Granny goodness. Granny goodness from the DC uh, universe. One of the agents of Darkseid on yeah. Apocalypse. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's kind of her thing. She's like the brainwashing specialist. Yeah, mm-hmm. reprogramming. Reprogramming children. Yeah. Mostly, right? Yeah. Or so, programming, I guess. You're not really reprogramming children. Mm-hmm. Unless you, you know, children come. Unless they had an idea. Previously programmed. Yeah. Children don't have ideas. Come on. <laughs> so children are like buying that VCR for the very first time and plugging it in. You got the flashing 12. That's right. And Granny Goodness is just the first one to get to the remote. She's just like, the time is 523. Uh, it says here it's 817. Shut up. <laughs> and uh, in the Superman animated series... From the 90s, early 2000s, uh, there was a two-parter legacy in which she had brainwashed Superman into believing he was the son of Darkseid, and he conquered the Earth. Oh. Superman did. Oh, yeah. That sounds pretty cool, actually. It was, actually. It was really cool. Granny that's, goodness doesn't sound very good. <laughs> that's Jack Kirby irony right yeah. there. <laughs> he, had a lot of, he had a lot of kooky apocalypse guys. Yeah. Well, the fact Ooh, that, wearing pants. that Mr. Miracle's real name is Scott Free, and yeah. he's like the only free person on Apocalypse and blah, 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 right? Yeah, and he's a master escape artist. Yeah. <laughs> he uh, yeah, he either hits the nail squarely on the head or just uh, does it ironically. The Prisoner TV shows? They erase people's memories, but I mean, does that, I guess that counts as brainwashing, right? It's attempted brainwashing. Right. All right. Mm. On number six. Mm-hmm. The Venture Brothers episode from season two, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, features uh, is basically an homage to the Manchurian Candidate right. in that a character who was a, an astronaut has been brainwashed to kill the president. There you go. And he gets saved by the ghost of Abraham Lincoln. That's random. <laughs> yeah. He can possess things that contain his image. You know, uh, like a penny. The ghost of Abraham Lincoln. Yeah. Like that old Star Trek episode. Because uh, Kirk's hero is Abraham Lincoln. That's right. That wasn't the ghost of Abraham Lincoln. That was actually Abraham Lincoln well, recreated sort of, by though, alien right? creatures. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And speaking of Star Trek, there's the episode The Dagger of the Mind, the title of which is taken from a soliloquy by the title character in Shakespeare's Macbeth, uh, where Kirk goes to this prison planet. He goes to a penal colony planet. Well, I don't know if the whole planet's penal colony, but there's a penal colony on a planet, mm-hmm. uh, and he gets captured by the head 
the, the warden, the warden, I guess you would say. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And there's that machine room, the room with the machine, and they. Wah, 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 wah. I don't know how to describe it. It's like it got a light in it and a chair. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right. A brainwashing machine? Yeah. The brainwash room. Yeah. Basically. In, a, in the brainwash district? <laughs> That's right. Because they catch this guy. They receive a shipment from the prison planet. Inside the shipment is an escapee. He used to be the director mm. of the penal colony. He's gone. He's all funky, crazy. Uh, right. So they eventually get to the bottom that um, who he is and what happened to him. And in the meantime, Kirk is down there because he's suspicious, but is not quite sure what's going on in that way that they do on Star Trek. Yeah. Takes down this uh, sexy science officer with him. Of course he does. And they and they sneak out of their quarters and try to figure out what's going on with this brainwashing machine. Who the director, the new director, says, "Oh, it's an experiment. It doesn't really work." It was a pretty good episode. So who got brainwashed? Kirk. Kirk. When they were kind of screwing around with it, trying to figure out how it works, he actually she was implanting. Himself? She was implanting suggestions in him just to see what would to see if it actually worked. Oh yeah, what was those those suggestions? Suggestion were? was the first one was try not to hump me. You're hungry. <laughs> like she would turn on the mach- on the machine uh-huh. and say you're hungry, and then she'd turn it off. And then Captain Kirk was like, you know, after we're finished all this, I wouldn't mind finding a, a canteen and yeah. getting blah 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 blah. And she's like, I implanted that suggestion right now. Right. And then he, the new director, finds out, and blah blah blah. It's a Star Trek episode. She you know certainly how it didn't ends. need to implant "I'm horny" because that seemed to uh, go everywhere that Kirk went. No, that was that was, seemed to take it with him. That came. Oh. That was natural programming. Yeah, maybe she did, and that explained all the rest of the episode. Uh, that was Ooh, it's called a neural neutralizer. The neural neutralizer. Thank you. Neutralizing your neurals. Nice job. Since the 23rd century. Lesser of two evils. All right. So obviously, if we're going to do a lesser of two evils from this episode, we got to get the Cameron treatment. We got to get mind wiped by uh, by Doctor Ewan Cameron in a in a way where you don't know how to take care of your own baby and you lose how how much of you, your memory. Pretty much all of it. Sort of on demand, typically decades. Right. Yeah, so you lose, lose the vast majority of your memories, and you're kind of like only making new memories to that point forward, and you know, you're, uh, you're kind of psychologically broken. So is this happening to us now? Yes. Yeah. So if we're 40, yeah. we'll remember everything up to our 20s. Perhaps. No, you probably won't even remember your childhood. Oh, okay. Yeah, you might remember it in fits and spurts, like a year here or six right. months there, and you know, uh, who knows? Who knows what you're going to forget? It's a it kind of a roll of the dice, mm-hmm. or go to our flies and maggots episode, ocular myiasis. Oh, living maggots in your eyes that eat your eyeballs, and you go, you definitely go blind. Ooh. Right. So this is broken brain or blindness. Well, you can grow new memories, but you can't grow new eyes. I'm going to go with the, what was the name of the camera? Cameronizing. Depatterning and then psychic driving. I'm going to go the You're psychic gonna be driving. you driven. Yes. That sounds like something you get as, in prison. As gross and as creepy and as shudder-inducing as the maggots in the eyes go, I those memories are me. Like... Like, really, you're talking about the death of my personality by taking all that away. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, I would rather be me and blind, even though the way that it's going to happen is... Uh, I would rather be me than blind than lose all that. Yeah. So I, I have to go with the uh, ocular myiasis. It's 
and I hate that I say that, but. What are you, Dr. Rob? You got an opinion on this? Ooh. I mean, what with you, uh, you know, you use your brain more than just about anybody I know. Uh, it's very Philip K. Dickian kind I mean, of you a spend a here. lot of time in school. Imagine losing all of that. But don't you also use invested. a lot of time looking at things? <laughs> It's very tough, yeah, yeah. I mean, on the one hand, there goes the medical imaging. On the other hand, there goes... The well, medical the, imaging. The, <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. But at least it's relearnable in principle. I mean, either way, I've got um, disability insurance. Um, so, um, <laughs> sure. my God, this is horrendous. And once you're on disability insurance, don't you want to look at a lot of porn? <laughs> <laughs> oh I submit to you, yes. I would need to consult Philip K. Dick and ask him what I would do. But if I couldn't get him on the phone, um, I, I, geez, I would, I would probably. Oh, <laughs> this is horrendous. See, this is why this is horrendous. So um, this week. is why lesser of two evils. <laughs> this one is perfect. Um, we've, we've almost uh, stumped Doctor Rob. Eyeball bugs. By like 0.01%. Because you can kind of still practice medicine in some way, shape, or form, can't you? And you've got your, you get your, uh, your memories and your imagination. So you can remember what porn looks like. I can remember how great it was to have a job that I really liked and took a long time to learn how to do. But your insurance takes care of that. And, you know, you could still be a consultant. Yeah, you could kiss surgery goodbye. And you can still read with Braille. There's all sorts of, like, Braille monitors for computers that can read Wikipedia for you. Well, here's a question. How close are we to regrowing people's eyes? And how close are we to... On deprogramming people. I mean, I think <laughs> we're close to neither. <laughs> yeah. Fair uh, enough. Fair here, answer. Here's 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 where I'm going to stand on this this one. I think I've seen enough. <laughs> <laughs>